This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 20th, the Intimacy Exhaustion Edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I work on another podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show, and I am dad to Noah, who's five, and Ami, who's two. We live in Detroit, Michigan. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 11, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's six. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer and contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and I'm mom to Naima, who is 10, and we live in Los Angeles. Today on the show, we have a question about balancing parental responsibilities, body image, and sexual intimacy. Our letter writer is exhausted and all touched out by the end of the day and wants to set aside physical intimacy with her husband for a few years. We're also going to touch base on our week in parenting, and if you're sticking around for Slate Plus, we have a ton of thoughts about this ridiculous viral BuzzFeed piece about the public places babies do not belong. It's wild. You'll want to stick around for it. Here's what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. The zoo is a really good place to take to take kids of all ages. Also, how is the Fresh how air, is a baby you bothering around. you at the zoo? How is it bothering you? It literally stinks, and the animals are loud. Right, it already smells like shit. Why do you care that the baby is there? If you hate kids, why are you at the zoo? Right. <laughs> you need to leave. Have you no, have you no soul? Not only will you get to hear that fun segment, but as a Slate Plus member, you'll get a whole bonus segment every week. Plus, you get to listen to all your favorite Slate podcasts ad-free. It's truly the best way to listen and the best way to support this show. You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com slash momanddadplus. All right, we're going to jump into triumphs and fails as soon as we get back from this short break. So, Jamila... What have you got for us this week? I've got a big fail. So Naima decided that she wants to start playing soccer. So we signed her up for soccer. They have lessons. It's interesting. I don't know that they're having games. It seems like it's just instructional. And so yesterday was supposed to be the first day. I show up to pick her up. I forgot to bring clothes. Like I didn't even think about it. You know, so she has on jeans. She had on like a hockey jersey type shirt and jeans. So not the most comfortable soccer clothes. But I'm like, you know, it's the first day. You all might not be doing that much actual play. It's fine. Like, I'm sure other kids will have on their school clothes. And then I realized she has on Crocs. Oh, so I'm like, Naima, I don't think we can do this today. And she had a bit of homework, too. So it was like all lining up bad. I was like, Naima. I think we're going to have to go home. I'm so sorry. Mommy really messed up. I didn't think about a change of clothes for soccer. I just thought about, you know, being here and getting you here. And I'm really sorry. And so she got really upset with herself. She was like, I just feel so stupid. Like, why didn't I think about it? Like, why did I, why would I wear Crocs today? Like, why didn't I remember? And I just, you know, I felt terrible because I felt like it was my fault. You know, I'm the one who's supposed to be on top of these things. So I said, well, Naima, both of us, you know, we forgot. We we weren't thinking. And now we are. And I'm putting a reminder in my phone for next week to make sure you have clothes. And we'll just try again, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it sucked, you know. But the worst part of it was seeing her get down on herself. You know, like it it's, didn't feel good to be responsible for her not getting to play soccer, but watching her beat up on herself for it really sucked. I hear that. It's day one, day one of soccer. 
it's always hard to get into a new routine. Yeah. I mean, for me, at least, like, once I forget it once, I'm really unlikely to make that yep. same mistake. Fair. <laughs> it's true. Same. It's true. Because, listen, it's happened to all of us, right? That is that oh, is like constantly. a classic. Uh, we've showed up more times for things with, with no shoes. <laughs> I think I've talked about a lot. My children apparently get in the car with no shoes. Uh, but I d- it's like then for there's a good period of time in which we don't make that mistake because I'm so traumatized. And I also think it kind of shows some aspirational initiative from Naima that she at least wants to get to the point where she is going to be thinking about that. So that, I think that's good, too. Yeah, because it would have been way easier to just blame you. That's mm-hmm. fair. That's what I expected too. I was preparing. Yeah, for that's it. the standard, which cancel each other out. That works. We're good. Yeah. How about you, Elizabeth? Uh, I'm. I am also taking a big fail. So, you guys, this Japan stuff is tough. So we are applying to schools in Japan because I have decided that I really think the best thing for us for a good landing there is to be in a school community. And the application process turns out pretty much goes against everything I believe about homeschooling. Like, I always feel like in homeschool, I'm trying to put this idea that, like, we are learning for our own sakes and we are self-motivated and it is more important to get the stuff down than be at any specific point, right? Like, I've never cared about what grade level kids are working at. I've never cared about what we're achieving. Like, did we make it through a whole math book? Did we make it through a whole unit? That stuff has not been something I have um, put these benchmarks on. But now I am filling out these applications, and that is what they want to know, right? And so... I think that a better, more enlightened Elizabeth would be like, this is okay. I'm just going to give them what I have and we will find the right place. (laughs) Unfortunately, that Elizabeth does not live in this house. The Elizabeth that lives in this house has decided (laughs) that I'm just now going to be crazy about our achievement to the point at which my poor little preteen who is doing his job of testing his own limits and testing my limits and trying to learn through failure, which I have always professed is what I want. I want him to have these little failures now and want to do better. No, now I'm just telling him, you have to finish this or we have to get through this. And so, for example... We've always used this particular math curriculum that does not really relate to, I think, grades here, but he happens to be in book 4B, but he is in fifth grade. This has never once bothered me until we started applying to schools, and I decided we need to be in book 5. The fact that we are not going to finish 5 by the time we leave is clearly a deficiency of my teaching and his performance. <laughs> and it's all... you. I just am... I am lecturing. I am, uh, I am like pushing. Let's do three unit. We can do this. You know, um, the only reason you're not getting this is be- is because of this. And I, I mean, I am catching myself, but the cognitive dissonance that that exists for me between this like. I am putting achievement over our relationship because I feel like that's what these schools are asking for, and I somehow now need to perform, versus like my heart where I want to say like, none of this matters. I'm having a really hard time uh, being that person. And luckily I have a a wonderful husband who is like, this is not important. Like you need to calm down. Uh, Henry has been able to tell me, you know, that I need to calm down, (laughs) but it's hard. It's really, really hard. What's your biggest fear for when you get into the school there? 
So I'm actually not scared about anything at the school because I know my children are excellent learners and they're good people. And are they straight A students? Probably not. Um, but they are who they are. My fear is that we don't get in. Uh, and and then I'm there floundering. And I've played through those scenarios. So I have a backup plan. I know uh, that I can put them in a local Japanese school a couple days a week. I know kind of how I could go about homeschooling there if I had to. I'm also not sure. So we have been rejected from some schools there, but it's a very complicated admissions situation because of COVID. So uh, nothing we've gotten back has said you're not getting in because of achievement. Yeah. Um, I also have three children that were trying to get into the same school. So, for example, if there's not an opening in sixth grade for him, uh, a lot of times they'll just say, like, there isn't room for your family. Mm -hmm. So... I'm internalizing a lot of this, which is crazy because I don't want to be at a school that doesn't want them because he's he understands the math he understands, right? But he right. but he's not ready for this other stuff. Like that would not be a good place for us. Mm-hmm. So why am I doing this? Well, the great thing is that you do have backup, right? Like you know that you can homeschool. You know that yeah. they can go to Japanese school a few days a week. So this isn't your only option, you know? Yeah. Um I think you have to figure out for yourself why this is bothering you so much. And I get it. Like, having a school community means a lot in a place like this. You know, like, school communities, period, are significant. But when you're the only people that you know in a foreign country, I can imagine that being able to call upon one of those would mean a lot to you all. But you got to cool out, Elizabeth. Like... You know you've done a great job with these boys, homeschooling them all these years, and they're ready to thrive in a number of academic environments. And like you said, you don't want a school that doesn't want them, you know, for who they are. Yes. Maybe I need to put that on the mirror or something, like every morning. Uh, Yeah, I just, I sort of, I don't want to say hate myself because I don't, but I, I do, I'm like very frustrated that I have allowed this situation to influence so much of who I am on a on a daily basis. But there's also so much stress that you're dealing with of just the move, which is definitely yeah. po- got to be part of this, <laughs> this potion. 100%. This Tokyo potion. Jamila, what's the advice you gave me Friday? Give yourself, give yourself some grace. grace. Yeah. Give yourself some grace. <sighs> All right, Zach, how, what is your week like? Well, I have uh, a triumph, not that I'm not taking credit for it, but it's more my mother and my sister and my mother's husband in particular. So my mom just turned 70. And thanks to a lot of coordination from my sister and my stepdad and some help from me, we pulled off an awesome 70th surprise party this past weekend for my mom. And I was just thinking like, if I do this right, if I do this parenting thing right, in 30 years, my kids are going to want to throw their dad a surprise party of course she never intended for for this to happen but she's just because my mom did such a was such a loving presence in our lives um this was something that we wanted to do for her it was not easy i mean getting a bunch there was like 25 people and lots of moving parts um menus to choose and uh, a restaurant to book and I was just very impressed with my sister who's three years older than me and she's just on her shit. She's just like one of these moms who's just like gets it done. And I was there to like co-sign stuff, but not really to lead by any means. And it was a, it was a great triumph. And uh, yeah, I just, I just hope that my kids uh, follow in my footsteps 
based on hopefully the, the, the decent enough parenting that, that I'll do over the next couple decades. Was your mom really surprised? She was. She promises that she didn't figure it out. I was like, really? Did You really didn't know? And she says she didn't know. Um, yeah, she was. That's so sweet. It was, it was so nice. Well, on that note, we're going to take another quick break. See you back here for our listener question. We're back and ready to hear today's listener question. Hello, Matt F. I have two kids, two years old and seven months. With just the first one, I was tired, yes, but never really felt touched out. Now with two, I'm both exhausted and touched out. I work so hard to tire out the two-year-old, and I'm breastfeeding the seven-month-old for at least five more months. I love my husband, and I love being a mom. It's a lot, though. The highs are high, and the lows are low. I have no energy or physicality left for my husband. He's a kind, caring guy. He doesn't pressure me for sex, but I know he wants it. I say no a lot, or just avoid it as much as possible. Honestly, what I'd love is a free pass to be celibate until we start trying for a third kid in a few years. He is trying to approach the topic of sex with me from different angles. He set us up on an app, Spicer, with sexy questions to get the creativity going, and I haven't even been able to open it again in over a month because I just have zero mental or physical energy for this topic. I feel guilty because he's a pretty reserved person, and I appreciate that it takes some courage to try things like that and try to get me interested. We're trying to just cuddle again, but I avoid that too because I'm just too tired and touched out or I'm afraid I'm going to have to reject sexual advances. It also doesn't help that I'm bordering on hating my body. I just try not to think about my body, to be honest. I do what I can to take care of myself. I'm in long-term recovery and I go to AA once a week. I have a therapist, a psychiatrist, and I'm still in physical therapy for birth recovery. My mother-in-law babysits and we do a little daycare to make this all possible. I have mom friends I see regularly. I also work three days a week at a job that I love. My job is physically demanding. I don't have any unstructured thinking time. I used to do long walks and read a lot to unwind from life's responsibilities. Is it reasonable to long for temporary celibacy in this stage of life? Is something wrong with me? I feel like a sitcom stereotype. No, honey, not tonight. I'm too tired. More like, no, honey, not this year. I fully imagine sometime in five to ten years loving my body again and rekindling my sexuality with my husband. Right now, I'm just trying to survive on two plus years of interrupted sleep, get through the challenges, and spend any other precious energy on enjoying the hilarity of toddlers and snuggliness of babies. Signed, celibate, so I can sleep. So this is really tough. Um, And I'll be brief because I'm not a wife. I I don't have experience with this part of post-birth recovery, nor with having two children, um, two children that are pretty close in age. One, you have my empathy. Um, You've been through a lot. You're balancing a lot. And it's great that you're doing a lot to take care of yourself. So you should be commended for that. Um, Even though you're not finding any unstructured thinking time or, you know, time to unwind to yourself, like you're still doing a lot of things to take care of you. And that is like so commendable. I don't know if you two thought about this, but I'm just wondering... Do you want to have a third baby? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like... Yeah, I was wondering that. You've had a... It sounds like a challenging birthing experience with at least one of your children. And you've got two children that are close in age. 
And, you know, you are not feeling the energy to do things that you did prior to motherhood, but you're anticipating it being this way for not just eight to 10 months, not a year. You're saying, I'd like a free pass to be celibate for years until we start trying for a third baby. And then sex only becomes a function of trying for this child, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You you said you imagine yourself loving your body again in five to 10 years, but like, I just wonder, I think it's, it's deeper than sex. You know what I mean? It sounds like you're putting yourself on hold temporarily. You know, this idea that, and you know, I can put sex off until it's time to have a baby, but then even then you're talking about loving your body again in five to 10 years. You know, you should be working on loving your body now as it exists now in its post-birth state and as it'll look in a few months once it started to change, you know, like you deserve to be happy in the now. And so I'm just, I don't know, I guess that's the thing that kind of struck me most. I'll just leave that as a question that is the third baby an absolute necessity or could you focus the next few years of your life on your own recovery instead? I so relate to this question. I don't, I just have been here. And I think underlying this question, which the letter writer sort of touches on, but, but not really is, is the fact that intimacy is part of a relationship and a marriage. And so I think for me, the like, discord was, I don't feel like doing any of this, but I also understand that it is part of this healthy relationship in one way or another. And and what that looks like depends on each, uh, I think, individual relationship. But if you have not had a, like, sit down, honest conversation with your husband about all of this, that needs to happen. And, And not just like, I feel bad or I'm not feeling into it. Like, all of these things you just told us in the letter, you need to be discussing with him mm-hmm. regularly because I'm wondering, like, is it if you're still in recovery, maybe physically you're not there. There may be moments that were emotionally not there. I really connect to the part where she talks about like she doesn't even want to do the cuddling because that may lead to something. And there is emotional work to saying, I don't want to do this. And there's an emotional and relationship cost to that. And what we did that made it work was basically schedule sex, and this is when it was available. And the agreement that we had was sort of, I am not an emotional place to have it other than these times that we set aside, because I know we need it, and I know that this is not something we want to do all the time, but that meant that I could sit and hold his hand on a walk or watching a movie and know that it wasn't going to become something else that I then had to emotionally reject, right? And there were these times where I would say like, okay, we are doing this for our relationship and being really specific about what that looks like for you. What are you capable of emotionally, physically? What is that going to look like? And just being really honest as that ebbs and and flows with these little kids, with the, you know, with your body, with all of this. So being able to have these conversations, which are hard and sometimes have tears because you are already, you know, emotionally overwhelmed. I think you need to be maintaining those lines of intimacy where you can talk about it and you can come up with a with a plan of how to meet each other's needs in a way that doesn't take too much from either of you. Um, and that path's going to look, you know, 
different for everyone. And it sounds like your husband's willing to try stuff. So I think that's a good, like, he's definitely willing to hear you um, on these things. So I don't know. I would, I would give that a try, but it is, I, I feel you. It's tough. I feel slightly uncomfortable giving advice to a mother who gave birth seven months ago about sex. Um, I certainly relate to the husband here. It sounds like he's doing some great sensitive work here, um, putting himself out there, making himself vulnerable. Sounds like he's a he's a good guy. I'm curious what your sex life was like before kids. And I'm also curious if you would be willing to just not tell the story I will be ready in five or 10 years. What if it's just like, I don't want to have sex today. And of course, that's completely fine. But like being mentally open to the to the notion of some kind of intimacy, maybe you're open to on date night, I don't know, getting some weed, getting some red wine, doing something to kind of lower your inhibitions, putting on a sexy movie, and just kind of seeing where it goes, not committing, not saying like, you're going to get laid tonight, honey. But like just being open to, yeah, to, to intimacy. And I'm also curious what you two think, like in the event that this mom just is not going to want to have sex for a couple years, where do you think that leaves the husband? Like, what, what do you think is like a reasonable thing for him to, to do in that case? I mean, I think they have to have a conversation about it because, again, every individual is different. But if it is a huge part of how he feels connection and intimacy in the relationship, right? Like actual having sex, they're going to have to do something to re- replace those feelings in the relationship. And and I think that's the tough part is that you have gone through all of this and it feels like this is another responsibility, but you are part of a relationship in which that was part of the, of the initial like your coupling and your being together and how your relationship was built. And so when those things change, you have to to flex. And I don't know what he needs, right? What does he need to feel fulfilled? And what does she need to feel fulfilled? So I don't know. It's so hard. But Zach, I guess my question for you is like, how can she have this conversation in a loving way, right? Because at least from the letter, it seems like they both love and appreciate each other. Yeah. But I think sometimes we're afraid to say these things out loud to our partners because we know it's hurtful, right? Mm-hmm. So how how do we create a space and say this in a way that's not hurt? I mean, or that is less hurtful? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, y- she is a, a, a thousand percent entitled to not wanting to have Absolutely. sex. I, I, I totally get that. At the same time, he needs to feel that she still is at least emotionally attracted to him at least like that she thinks he's sexy still that she's like still attracted to him despite not wanting to touch him like if you do indeed still love and respect him and are attracted to him like you should let him know um and just that will go you know that that will go a lot longer than you just not you know being open about it at all I'd be remiss if I didn't do what I always do, which is recommend therapy. Um, I realize that you do have a therapist yourself, um, but yeah, bring him along. this is something that you and your husband are going to need to talk about together. Um, you know, and I think it would be helpful for there to be a third party there to help you all express those feelings to each other in a safe environment. I think you two should get into couples therapy. I don't think you should wait. I think that's just 
that's something you should try to make time for sooner than later. I love that because I think while there isn't a problem now, the reason we have this letter and the reason uh, also that women going through this feel a lot of guilt about it is because you can see a problem arising like it's it's going to come. Um, and so how do you get through this? And I think therapy is such a good way, especially if you feel like he's trying a bunch of stuff, but you're unable to tell him exactly how you feel or you're worried about how he's going to take it or you're just feeling the emotional want of, of having to say no. I mean, I can't. To me, again, that is the part of the letter that like rejecting the sexual advances, like I would go out of my way to try to avoid situations so that I didn't have to say no, because I know it was hurtful. Um, And once we were able to like talk about it and deal with that, it took this huge weight off of me that we were just like on the same page. And there were other ways to deal with this, um, that I didn't always have to feel like I was saying no, or I don't want this because I need this because sometimes being needy feels like has its own emotional burden and you just feel like I'm always the one that that is telling you you can't do something that you want or need and and there's a lot there and I feel this from that from this letter on top of your children needing all this stuff from you too I mean that's the thing is that this is one more thing on top of everything else you're doing for work for home for all of that it's just tough it's a tough time well celibate so I can sleep thank you for writing in hopefully some of this helped for our listeners have you experienced a similar parenting challenge how did you get through it? We would really love to hear it. Reach out at mamadad at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-357-9318. That's 646-357-9318. And that's it. Please subscribe to our show. Leave us a rating and review and tell your friends. That helps us grow our lovely parenting community. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Maura Curry. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Zach Rosen. Thanks for listening. 